They risked everything. They risked their freedom in Christ to be out proclaiming Christ crucified. They didn't go in and try and curry favor with the religious leaders and try and make some sort of compromise whereby they would be allowed to exist out there doing this. They risked it all for this guy whom you're not even supposed to notice. You're supposed to step over or around him to get into the place of worship. It's been going on this guy's whole entire life. They risk it all right there. When I had all but given up I saw love He leads me beside the still waters. Almost any verse, any stanza from the 23rd Psalm that I would speak would bring the psalm to mind. Every line uh, has been a comfort to people for many generations. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The Hebrew word most often translated into follow, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, uh, is radaf. Radaf. And it literally means to run after or to chase or to pursue, which which would color the way we hear the psalm, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me, shall chase me, shall run after me all the days of my life. If we read scriptures carefully, we'll probably notice that God is always in pursuit. The prevailing narrative in scripture is of a gracious God determined to, to bless. From Adam and Eve to Abraham and Sarah all the way through the, to the many stories of Jesus showing up to call and to heal and to bless. Somehow, though, the, the guiding narrative of modern Christian faith uh, in the United States so often centers on my seeking, my looking, my, my finding, my accepting. We are... If nothing else, shoppers, right? We are shoppers, and we like to know our options. We like to pick and choose this, not that so much. And as far as it goes, more and more, we prefer to have our stuff brought to us, right? Rather than having to go out in public among other people, we'd like it delivered. Sure, I believe in God. Absolutely, I believe in God. The researchers continue to hear from an overwhelming uh, percentage of Americans, I just don't have much use for, you know, a church. We like to feel in control. And, and this extends right into our theology. We would like to have God on our terms, if it's not too much to ask. It would be great, in fact, even if God agreed with my political ideology. You know, my positions, my ideas about border control or taxes or guns or refugees. And who's in and who's not. Control is what we're after. It always has been. All of this is for you. God told us in Eden, just stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, we're going to need a bit more control than that. Thanks, though. 
God Almighty. But sooner or later, our self-delusion of having ultimate control falls apart. Sooner or later, each of us in turn finds ourselves in the valley of the shadow of darkness. And we are afraid. One of the most common fears going all the way back is the fear of being chased, of being pursued, fight or flight. There's something in the human condition that makes it common for us to fear being overtaken by something beyond our control. In our lives, we can feel pursued by many things, by the expectations we face at work. We can feel pursued by the unrealistic expectations we place on ourselves and uh, how our lives we feel should be. We can feel pursued by illness, by time itself as we age and our own mortality comes into view. The 23rd Psalm wants you to know that you're being pursued all right, chased even, hunted if you will, not by the God of judgment and exclusion, but by the Lord of goodness and mercy. On Good Friday, we watched as Peter followed the soldiers as they dragged Jesus in front of the high priest out in the courtyard. And out there, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Peter was ashamed and humiliated and just so deeply disappointed in himself. The rest of them might run off Jesus, but I will die with you before I would deny you. Just buried in his own shame. And so all of that is part of what we remember about Peter. And then Jesus was crucified, and and, and Peter's denials became the very last thing he ever did for his Lord. The last thing. And I've said, if 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 you could have asked Peter right at the moment when he thought he was filled with rage and and pride, and he drew his sword and, and struck off Malchus's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane that Peter would have told you, I wish those soldiers had done their job right then and there, because I should have never made it out of that garden. And I think a lot of us can identify with this Peter. Or maybe so much about yourself, about your past, distant, maybe not so distant, that you you wish on some level you could change. Peter's hopes had been crushed on the cross. And his own life had reached a dead end. But the risen Christ pursued Peter, found Peter, restored his hope and his faith and his courage. So what did Peter do after that? After the risen Christ pursued Peter and found him in the valley of the shadow of death, buried under a mountain of shame, the resurrected Jesus raised Peter. And what did Peter do then? Peter turned around and stormed right back into the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because there are always people lost in the valley of the shadow. And now Peter knew the way out. 
In today's reading from Acts, we find Peter standing in the midst of the very people that he ran from before when he denied that he even knew Jesus. The, the reading begins the next day, their rulers, elders, the next day. So, so that then we have to ask you the next, what do you mean the next day? What happened the day before? So in, in chapter three, we get one of my favorite passages of scripture, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And it's why Peter and John are standing where they are in the text we have for today. So just to remind us of that story, Peter and John and all the disciples had received the promised Holy Spirit in the, in Pentecost, in Acts chapter two. They've been proclaiming Christ crucified. They're no longer stuck away in fear, locked away in some house. They're out there now. And on this day in Acts chapter 3, and you should take out your Bible and read it later this afternoon, you get a chance. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, two of the giants, right, of our Christian faith heritage, Peter and John, decide in the middle of the day, in the afternoon, uh, Luke wants us to know, to go to the temple. They're going to the temple. This is where all of those religious leaders, those in power, uh, are in power. It's where they hold sway. So what are Peter and John going to do now that they have been set free? That Peter is no longer denying that he even knows Jesus, but he's willing to stand and at the risk of his own safety in life is proclaiming Christ crucified. To any audience he can get. So they're going to the temple. Are they going to go into that temple and curry favor with those religious leaders, with the scribes and the Pharisees and the temple priests and the hierarchy, the guys in the flowing robes with the fancy hats? Is that what they're going to do to now sort of reestablish their status with those people? How will they risk this freedom they've got for the time being while they're out there? Proclaiming Christ crucified. So they're on their way to the temple in the third chapter. And along the way they see a paralyzed man. Luke tells us this guy has been unable to walk. He's been paralyzed. He's been laid there at the gate to the temple his whole entire life. He was born this way. He's just part of the scenery there. People step around him or over him every day. People who are able to come and go from the presence of God in the holy temple because this guy can't go in there. If someone carried him in there, they would be thrown out because he is considered ritually impure by the very nature of his condition. So along come Peter and John. They need to get around this guy. He begs from them. They stop and engage with him. And then we find out the answer to our question. What are they going to do with their freedom and their status? This is Peter and John, two of the giants in the history of our Christian faith. They have an encounter with this man. They stop and take notice of him. And at one point, Luke tells us, they tell him to look at them. Why? What an odd detail. Why do they say that? Well, because people who grovel in the dirt, who are considered accursed by God Almighty, laying outside of the temple complex, the one that Jesus said, I'm tearing it down, this whole system, and I will rebuild it. Because people who grovel in the dirt outside of the presence of God and outside of the community don't look you in the eye. They don't presume to look at you, but Peter and John say, look at us. We don't have any money to give you. 
but they take his hand. When you touch someone who is ritually impure, you get what they got. They take his hand. They stand him up. He's physically healed. But more than that, now he's going to march with them, clinging on to them physically into the presence of God, into the holy temple complex. And everybody sees it. They risked everything. They risked their freedom in Christ to be out proclaiming Christ crucified. They didn't go in and try and curry favor with the religious leaders and try and make some sort of compromise whereby they would be allowed to exist out there doing this. They risked it all for this guy whom you're not even supposed to notice. You're supposed to step over or around him to get into the place of worship. It's been going on this guy's whole entire life. They risked it all right there. And they don't even talk to each other. Peter doesn't say, John, do you think, what, John, Peter, what do you, no, they just, they both stop. And he goes into worship with them, and they are hauled into prison for it. It's a threat to the way things are done in the temple. It's a threat to the authority of those in charge. And we get to the fourth chapter of Acts. This is why it's important to know when it says the next day. Uh, the fourth chapter begins, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them, that's Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. And so we have arrived at our eight verses from the book of Acts assigned for this day. The next day, there are rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem. The day after, they hauled Peter and John to prison. Everybody who's anybody in charge, in authority, is there. With Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. These are some of the names of those who held sway while Jesus was tried, convicted, and crucified. When they had made the prisoners stand, that's Peter and John in chains standing in front of them. In their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, remember this is after Pentecost in Acts 2, after Jesus came to them in the locked home and said, I give to you the Holy, breathe on them the Holy Spirit as the Father sends me, so I send you. Then Peter, filled with that Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. And, 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 and listen to the sarcasm dripping from Peter's voice with me here. If we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick, if, if that's really why you've hauled us into prison and now we stand before you because we helped this person that you've been ignoring for his whole entire life. If we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth 
whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And then they, they, the phrasing of this just kills me. It just sticks in my head. I, I can't even tell you exactly why, but the way he says this, this Jesus, say it with me, this Jesus, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, the builders of this impressive, massive temple complex. The one that Jesus said, I'm tearing it down. Because it, it keeps some people laying in the dirt outside and doesn't let them in. I'm tearing it down. I'm rebuilding it. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Maybe you have come to believe that there is some sadness, some loss, some, some sin that has pretty much defined your story. It's attached to you. We're reminded today that goodness and mercy shall follow you, pursue you, chase you, hunt you. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. No doubt there are times in our lives when we are trying to hide, not only from our fears, but from God as well. We see it even back in the garden. We bury ourselves in work or school or our own shame for being less than we think we ought to be. We can find ourselves in such a deep and dark valley we don't want to be reached by anyone or anything. Like Peter and the others locked away in a house, afraid and ashamed. The 23rd Psalm reminds us that in the deepest pit, God promises to pursue us and find us there. In the darkest valley, God promises to pursue us and find us there when we are so lost that we don't even know where we are our god is in pursuit god's goodness god's mercy is always hot on our trail and the lord is always looking to lead us beside still waters the waters that flow over us in our baptisms the waters that make us part of the community the community of faith in Christ, the community sent into the valley of the shadow, always sent back into the valley of the shadow of death. But we go with a light. We go with the light of the world. When the sun was lifted up, I saw the storm.